0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, this is kind of an interesting week. Um, we start a new series next week called Fault Lines, and we'll be walking through um, uh, something that's um uh, loosely affiliated with Steve Deneff's Fault Lines book, uh, one that looks at the different formational things that happen in our lives and a lot of times how those will center on uh, issues in our lives. And that being said, this week we, we are in the middle of two series. We concluded one last week, we start one next week, and so this week as I was uh, praying and thinking about and just having a discussion with many of you actually to kind of discern what God's leading was for the week, um, I was interested to, to recognize how God directed things and his spirit has a tendency to do that, to focus on what it looks like to labor for the Lord. And there's a little bit of a play on words there, this being Labor Day weekend, but to labor for the Lord. I want to start today by reading the scripture passage. We're going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It'll be on the screen, but you can also follow along if you've got it. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation in English. It reads, starting in verse 23, I have the right to do anything. Maybe I'll pause there for just a moment before I continue. How many of you have said or heard this recently or in the last 18 months specifically? I'll be honest. I'm not excited to preach this today, but I'm mindful of the Spirit, so that's what I'm going to do. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. "'Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience.'" I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours, for why is my freedom being judged based on an, by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with, thanks, with thanks, thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then verse 1 of chapter 11 concludes this portion of the passage, follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. And that's recognizing the author there, the Apostle Paul. I think I could say amen and pray, and that would be enough. But at the same time, I recognize the fact that contextually, this passage has some very important things for us to say, not just for those who were originally the recipients of the text or this letter, but also for those who are part of the universal body of Christ, which includes you and I. This Labor Day weekend, let me say happy Labor Day weekend, Happy Labor Day weekend, a time where you can join together with family and friends and hopefully spend some time resting, which is, in essence, the purpose for the holiday. This, this interesting passage, actually, uh, depending upon which English translation you read, has a subheading, and most passages or most portions of a passage will have that. This one in the NIV says, the believer's freedom, while the ESV calls it work for the Lord. It's interesting there is a, 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 um, a similarity, or there are similarities between these two, the believer's freedom and work for the Lord. There are these, these things that go together, but there's also kind of a contrast as far as the connection between these two as well. While there is a freedom for us to work and a freedom to make decisions in our lives, there's also a fundamental posture as believers that we are to take. We're to be humble as he was humble, and we're to serve our God. Paul is calling the believers to share in the blessing by serving, living with an obligation to glorify God. Work is more than just labor for the believer. In fact, this idea of of labor is about our action, our posturing, our doing. The last series we talked a lot about being, which is who we are, what we are, and doing being an outcome of our being. Well, this is no, no different in this case. When we look at this idea of work, it is an outpouring as believers of who we are. Labor is every action we take, every word we say, every thought we entertain. Labor is the outcome of who we are. I heard a preacher speak specifically on uh, this specific battle, a specific battle that took place in the Civil War. Uh, it was July 1st, 1863, and John and Carolyn Rupp were in their home. It was a peaceful day until they began to hear the battle near their property. And as the battle came down, basically down their road, Cemetery Hill, right to where their house was, there was 330 at a certain count. As as John retells the situation, the battle, there was a... a, 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 a um, a battalion of 330 can- cannons on the front porch or in the front part of his house in the front yard of his house not porch but the front yard of his house facing his house and there were more than 330 he lost count on the back in the backyard of his house from the southern side and for a time those two cannons fired at one another over his house until eventually the battle changed. The battle kind of moved into more of an infantry battle. And at that point, he and his family, he had a wife and six children, moved to the cellar for the soldiers on both sides began to fire at one another through his house. Let me just say, it is difficult in this day where we are, especially in the divided country that we live in, to be in neutral territory. When hand-to-hand combat finally concluded with the Yankees, as he calls it in the letter, and the, and the front porch and the rebels on the back porch, he was in neutral ground. And the interesting thing was being a, a, a person who uh, was was not necessarily uh, in the battle, in the war, obviously he, he was on a side uh, where he lived, that type of thing, but he was not really in the battle. He wanted to come out and help to try to settle the situation. And let me tell you, I have heard many of you and your thoughts on all the things that have been going on over the course of the last almost two years now. I've I've had your emails, we've had conversations, and in love I have engaged with many of your conversations and many of your questions about our church and about what God would want and all these types of things. But let me just say, at a certain point... There has to be some alleviation of intensity before we can truly engage in any kind of conflict resolution. Is that fair? For if I were to step out or if you were to step out in between two people shooting at one another, it's not going to have a good result for the person in the middle on the, quote, neutral territory. I hope you're uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable right now? I am. I really am. In fact, I'm not excited to share this word today. I'm I'm being open to the Spirit's leading. But let me just say, in all of this, this sermon can be more or should be more of a conversation with the body from a brother rather than a sermon preached from the pastor. And so we engage in this, and and I've heard over the last 18 months, personally, people from the backyard shouting, you should be wearing a mask, and people from the front yard shouting, freedom, no mask, and people from the backyard or the front yard shouting that we should have open borders, and from the backyard, we should have, you know, build a wall, and from one side, it's, it's, you know, get the the vaccine, and the other side, uh, don't get the shot, and one side, free election, and the other side, okay, you need to have a voter ID. And let me just say, this is, we are living in what I've heard as, and I think this is so true, a cold civil war never in since the civil war has our nation been more divided and the reason why and there's been divides in the past but the reason why in many cases is because this divide is foundational it's at our core it's 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 what we believe it's truly where we are it's not just on an issue out there one underlying thing but it's it's at the core in fact look at the divide in which we have over the last 5 elections four of the last 5 elections were decided by 4 points or less. That's all, that's almost a 50-50 split. That's a divide. That that's a that's a that's a really scary divide in a lot of ways. The soul of our nation is being fractured and let me say what's more the soul of our church is being divided. And when I say our church I'm not talking necessarily specifically CCWC but the church universal especially here In our country. And while many might believe that on a lot of the issues that are out there that the Bible is silent, I will tell you it is not quiet on how we are to engage in the labor of being the body of Christ. In fact, I'll say this, especially in our lifestyle and when it impacts others. Perhaps the biggest reason why I'm not excited to share this message today is because of the idea or the concept, the word eisegesis. Anybody heard this word before? Okay, a few of you. If you've done a lot of Bible study or if you've had any formal training, you'll know that there is two types of ways to look at Scripture. There is exegesis and there is eisegesis. And exegesis is basically coming to the Scripture, opening up the passage, and allowing the passage to speak for itself. Anybody ever read Scripture this way? You read it. You allow it to speak. You reflect upon it. Maybe you go to a commentary, or you ask a friend, or you ask a, a spiritual leader, or a parent, or someone else that might be able to help direct you in the meaning of a passage. I said Jesus is on the other side. I said Jesus is when you come to the Scripture and you say, "Here is the idea I have in mind. Let me find something that will prove me right." Right? Anybody ever done that? No hands, but I'm assuming that there's a few. Right? It's, it's, it's trying to find, or, or proof text, trying to find a text that will prove that I am right, that the perspective that I have is right. And I hope that today, this sermon and this passage is not an opportunity for anyone in here to take this motive and say, okay, look, Pastor Steve said, or Apostle Paul said, or a mixture of both said that I am right. If that is how you leave today, you are wrong. Because today, I'm not speaking on specifically which side to be on, if there are even sides. What we're talking about is how we are to engage this world as believers. So, take your position. Now, hopefully, it's, it's rooted in Scripture in the way that Scripture wants it to be stated, not in the way that you came to it, right? I said Jesus once again. And allow the character and the person of Jesus to be the, 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 the grounds by which you stand, whatever platform you choose. But then, as you engage in it, may your heart, may your words, may your actions be a reflection of Jesus, not you trying to win a fight. So let's go back to the passage. I want to look specifically at some of these verses. Starting again in 23, it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Not everything is constructed. Yes, God grants us grace. God grants us mercy. But the reality is, regardless of the things that he gives us in that realm, we, are not, we don't have a license to go out and do whatever we want. In fact, you wouldn't do that in any other relationship. Think about your, more, your marital relationship or perhaps a, a, a fiancé or, or a boyfriend or girlfriend. You're not going to say, okay, you know what? I'm devoted to you. In fact, I'm going to give you a Sunday morning every, every week. And maybe I'll read the verse of the day or maybe that love letter of the day that you wrote me. But during my other time, I'm going to go do my own thing, right? But no, you wouldn't do that. No, instead, basically what Paul's saying is, yeah, you can do other things. God will give you, grant you forgiveness, but and it's not about doing what you want to do. Earlier on in this letter, in, in, in chapter 6, verse 12, he talks about the same thing, and probably Paul is quoting some of the Corinthian congregation who boasts that they have the right to do what they please. They have the right, right? I have the right to do anything. And the Apostle Paul counters by observing that such freedom of action may not benefit the Christian. And I mean, part of this is like a duh, of course. you go do what you want to do, it's not going to benefit you, and it's not going to benefit the kingdom, it's not going to benefit what God's trying to do. It's not by, by being mastered by anything. One, one may become enslaved by those actions in which they are freely indulged. So think about that for a minute. Okay, sure, you can do whatever you want, but as soon as you begin to do that and engage in this other action or this, this concept, we'll just call it, you know, when we're looking at our laboring in conversation of winning the battle, you become a slave to that. Maybe you've been there before, and it's like, I have to win this argument. You become a slave to that. OK, I had the interaction with the coworker, and I don't like how it ended, so I'm going to go home and I'm going to spend all my time trying to come up with a new argument tomorrow, so that when I go in, I'm really going to give it to him. Just because you can do it, or say it or reflect upon it, doesn't always mean you should. The energy you're granting towards that thing or the, 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 the time, the, all the things, that, the resources you put into it, let me just say, God intended those for something else. Personal freedom is, 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 of one's rights are, are not the only consideration. One must also consider the others. And the first point is this, we have freedom, yes. First point is this, the gift of freedom bears great responsibility for the Christ follower. It's funny, I have uh, somebody... We'll program the notes in and I typically will walk through the notes uh, just to make sure that the ones that are on the screen are the right ones and uh, just so that everything works out. And sometimes I've got a, uh, a mess up, so to speak, in my notes and sometimes there will be one there and we kind of walk through that. And the person that, that I walked through this with said, that reminds me of Spider-Man. I was like, hey, I'm going there actually, right? You might remember in Spider-Man that famous line with great power comes great responsibility. Hey, you know what? That's one time when Hollywood got it right. Think about this. As a believer, as a Christ follower, you have an opportunity to be in the presence of the creator of the world. You have the opportunity to be formed and have a relationship. You do have a relationship with the creator of the world. That's great power. And with that, you have an opportunity to be able to take that power as a lighthouse in the darkness to be able to go and share the kingdom with others. With this freedom that you have, there's a responsibility to be a follower, to be an evangelist, to be a lover of others rather than of your own motives. Moving on, jumping down in verse 25 and 26, it says, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And right here, as we we kind of walk down through this and even through verse 28, it kind of is puzzling if you don't really know the, the cultural historical background of what's taking place. Basically, there were people there that were kind of throwing stones. They were saying, hey, look, there is, there is meals, there are meals that are taking place, people are eating, they're having meals together, and the meals, the, the food, the meat that they're eating has been purchased in the market, and from, before it was put in the market, it was actually sacrificed to idols or to other gods. Well, that's wrong, Paul. Tell them they're wrong. That's wrong, Pastor Steve. No, I'm sorry. I won't go there. It was kind of a joke, but maybe not that funny. So you're asking the question, like, what, what does this actually mean? You know, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go and eat and put it before you, don't raise any questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been sacrificed, and this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of the conscience. What does that mean? Why, why would that matter? Well, Paul's starting to get at this concept of understanding. He doesn't take a side, mind you, but he's starting to get this concept of understanding that what we do as believers impacts the people around us, and especially through our witness. Did you know that what you do can actually ruin your witness? And by witness, I mean your opportunity to be able to share the truth, the gospel, Jesus with other people. What you do and say can be a, a positive influence for others to know Christ, or it can be a negative to draw them away perhaps more broad than just meat, other activities, discussions, words, things that we say, for conscience sake, in eating meat that has publicly been declared to have been sacrificed to idols, you may offend the other man's or woman's conscience by causing him to think it is all right to eat meat sacrificed to idols, even though he has doubts about it. Or if he is an unbeliever, think about this on the other end of it, not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but somebody who's onlooking. He may think that the Christian worships both God and a pagan. That we're double-minded. That we are what Scripture calls a hypocrite. Where we say one thing or we determine one thing, but we practice something else. Sadly, this might be the belief of many. And I know that we are not supposed to, to play the comparison game. But it sure hurts when we see someone else who's turning off others to the, to the gospel or to the kingdom because their words don't match up to their actions. Their conduct is hypocritical. And if you're following along in your note guide, the second point is this. One intended outcome of our freedom is the gift to live out the gospel of Jesus. I know this is fairly basic. And I know sometimes when you look at these types of principles, it's like, well, yeah, I get that. But think about this for a moment in the context of actually applying it. Think about the transcript of your life over the course of the last week. Have the words you said, have the things you've done, have the way that you have spent your time, talent, and treasure reflected the fact that you get to live out the gospel of Jesus? And not just in your public life, but also in your private life where there's just the people that you have let in or maybe even in your secret life where it's just you and God. Does it reflect your engagement, your opportunity, the gift that you have, the freedom you have? To live out the gospel of Jesus. This gospel is not something to be yielded for personal gain, but instead to be lived out for his glory. So start getting right into the, to the meat of what Paul is trying to say, he, he basically says, okay, I've heard your arguments. I know that there are thoughts out there that are, that are kind of questioning or that, uh, that, that, that point towards maybe a, a call to question. What, what are we supposed to do here? Paul finally says, okay, in verse 29, I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours, for why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? Why do I have to do this? Just because some other weaker person is is going to see it? Well, let me let me say. Paul goes on. He says, "If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for?" So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. No one is fighting you. Paul is not even fighting you on the concept that we all have freedom. Freedom in Christ, freedom to live. But what he's encouraging is for us all to recognize that our words, our actions, who we are, has an opportunity to help others grow or to stumble, and an opportunity for us to glorify God in who we are and what we do. The exercise of one's personal freedom is to be governed by whether it will bring glory to God, whether it will build up the church of God, and whether it will encourage the unsaved to receive Christ as a Savior, as their Savior and Lord. I think something that I thank God for, just kind of looking at verse 30, is this idea that we have the opportunity, regardless of what's going on, that that we have the opportunity to thank God for things of this world, right? Paul was reflecting upon the fact that, look, maybe this meat was, was used, if I don't even know about it, but it was used to be sacrificed for an idol, but God still created that. Again, going back to the reality that God was here first, that God is in charge, that he is in all things. And therefore, just as it says in verse 31, glorify God in all things. All we do should glorify him. The all-inclusive principle that governs the discussion in chapter 8 through 10 all the way in is that God should be glorified in everything that we do. And that's the third point. The freedom and labor of the Christ follower should always aim to glorify God. What would the world look like if the church in all aspects, in all business, in all relationship, in in all that we do, everything that we did, what would the world look like if the church glorified God in everything that we did? I'm reminded of an interesting story that uh, a, a student told me at one point when I was in youth ministry several years ago. He said he was talking to a friend, and he heard this story about how the friend was told by God, told by God to go into a gas station, go back to where the drinks, like the, the refrigerators are the, with the, uh, the soft drinks, and to bounce on one foot and hop on one foot and just kind of stand there and wait. And he thought to himself, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to step into it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm dreaming, right? And then the friend went to the gas station, he got his gas, and when he went in to pay, he was kind of wrestling, like as he walked in there, I, I don't want to do this, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to make a fool of myself. When he walked in there, there was somebody else in the back doing the same thing literally, not, not making this up. He went back, he asked the person, and they said, yeah, I felt like God told me to come and do this. I don't really know him, but he said that somebody else would be doing the same thing, and so I would talk to him. And he was able, and now he didn't bounce on one foot, but he went back and saw the person, and he was able to share the gospel with that person. You know, sometimes we might think it's silly, and that is silly. I will say that. But God works in mysterious ways. Ways outside of our understanding, ways outside of our, of our regularly scheduled broadcasts. In fact, when we look for ways to glorify God, He will provide those opportunities for us to live it out. As the, as the passage continues and we kind of walk through these last few passages, we notice the fact that in that last one that Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Christ is the supreme example. We see an example through Paul's life which we can probably resonate with to some extent, maybe not the first part when he was Saul, but we can resonate with the fact that Paul didn't live a perfect life, but he allowed God to change him and transform him. And his heart song became, how can I glorify God and reveal truth to others? So two takeaways that I want to point out right now, Paul's two arguments to this fighting of uh, whether you should eat the meat or not. The first one is Jesus Christ should be the center of all we do and say. For Paul, it was all about Jesus Christ. Paul never took sides in the battle. and I'm not telling you not to take a side in the things that are going on around you. Don't hear that. It is important to, to, to take sides and to, and to stand your ground and to recognize that. But in doing so, Christ should be the center of your side, so to speak. Second, he says all meat comes from God. So recognize that God is the ultimate source. God is the one who provides. God is the one that makes all things new. And whether you eat or abstain in honor, do so in honor of God. People get really revved up. And this is apparent in social media. It's probably one of the worst places. People get really revved up on issues, right? I mean, we see issues where people really get down. And one of the bad things about that uh, that avenue for discussion is that you can't read tone or body language. You can't read a volume of voice. You can't see anything else. Instead, you just read it black and white. And you do so with the perspective of what you are placing on the other person. And so the scary thing or the, the detrimental thing in that type of situation is that the, the, the people get really, really revved up about that. And, and so there's a, a fight of brewing and eventually somebody will just kind of, okay, I've had enough and they're done, right? But the problem that I see in that in that regard is I don't see a lot of revved up for Jesus. And perhaps this is is difficult for the kingdom. And I'm I'm probably just as guilty. I don't really use social media very much. But uh, when I'm on there, I don't necessarily use the platform to its fullest. But let me just say, let me just say, if that argument, that thing that you are so right on, that you spend so much energy on was the kingdom, I'll leave it there. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Nothing has been made that he did not make. He is our peace. So in Christ, we are all united in one spirit. In fact, if that wasn't true, we might as well not have a communion service time. Honestly, the communion portion, the, the, the thing about that that's, that's a defining characteristic beyond this, this remembrance of Jesus is that we do so together, united as a body And if we're not united, then we shouldn't be engaging in communion because the word communion means communal, come together. The second point is this. If Jesus is the center, other people are the point, meaning meaning that in Christ there's a recognition that we are humble and that we reach out and we help others, engage with others. Being right is not the point. Winning the battle is not the point. You may have all your facts straight. You may have the the perfect argument. You may be rooted in all the right resources. Let me just say, if you come to it, and and I've had enough. Oh, we're still back. All right. Remember that exegesis, eisegesis situation. You may have all the facts straight, but if you share those facts, if you share your argument and you're not doing so to glorify God, it's going to have detrimental impact. Then one more thing, and and we'll move into the communion service portion. You know, authentic discipleship has always been about dying to self. It's about giving far more than it's getting. But here's a a take-home in in kind of a flowchart form some questions to ask before engaging, some questions to ask before beginning the day at work or before uh, uh, posting something or before talking to somebody in your family or friends that may not have the same opinion or the same perspective. The first one is, are my words or my actions coming from a place of love or fear? Because ultimately those are the two places right? I love you, so I want to help you in this. I want, to, I want you to know what's going on, or I'm fearful, so I want to try to get you to do what I think is important. So ask the question, is, is the thing that I am so jazzed up about, the thing that I need to share, the words that I have, the actions that I'm going to basically take forth or step forward in, are they coming from a place of love or fear? The second thing is ask yourself, Are my words or actions loving towards others? Will I add value to another? Will I add value to their life to share this, or is it just me trying to get that last jab in so that I get the last word? And then finally, and this is the most important, does this glorify God? Because that's ultimately what it's all about. Does this glorify God? Does this action, do these words, does what I want to do uh, or want to say, does it glorify God? And I'll encourage you even not to make this decision in a vacuum. When you're asking these questions, maybe have have somebody else, a loved one, uh, share those with you. Talk through that. And I will encourage you to do this. Turn off the gospel of Facebook or CNN or Fox News. Turn that gospel off and allow the real gospel to speak to you as you engage in deciding how and when you jump into these specific instances and share the truth in love with others. Elevate the other person. Lead the conversation asking, Did I add value to that person? And if not, maybe you need to revisit it. Maybe now you're thinking about a conversation you have and you think, I need to revisit it because when we left that, when I left that conversation, I didn't add value to them. I discouraged, I tore down. And finally, do it all for the glory of God. We're going to move now into a time of, of communion. And the first Sunday of every month, we engage in a communion service, and the opportunity for us is, uh, is, is twofold. One, it's to remember what God has done. It's an opportunity for us to come together as the church body in remembrance of him, in remembrance of who he is and what he's done in our lives. And at the same time, it's an opportunity for us as a corporate body to engage in a unifying means of grace. This is a place where we can receive and engage in grace with our Savior, the one who loves us, the one who who gave his life for us. Now hear me out as we move into this. I didn't say that the issues are unimportant. I didn't say that we all have to be on the same side. What I did say is we need to come together, as Scripture says, in one spirit, in one body, to glorify God and to love others. And so as we engage in this moment, you don't have to look around the room and make sure that everybody's on the same, quote, side as you in other respects. But one thing I do want you to do is look at yourself and recognize, okay, is my heart open? Reflect upon where you stand. Am I open to the kingdom? Am I open to God's leading, to God's guiding, and to love one another as Christ loved us? I'm going to pray for the elements, and then I'm going to ask for the ushers to come forward. Just a couple of logistical things. They're going to serve you, so they're going to come. You can stay where you are. They're going to come and serve. They'll pass the plates down, and you can take the cup and the bread. We'll also encourage you to hold on to that until all elements, everyone has received all the elements, and then we will go through and consume the elements together. If you have a gluten intolerance, uh, we do have gluten-free wafers. We want to make sure that you can be part of the service here today and not be excluded from this moment. And then at the conclusion, they will collect your cups in the back if you would like to take them out that way. But as you receive your elements, as you hold on to those or as you wait to receive the elements, may this be a time of reflection. May this be a time where you can reflect upon yourself, your own well-being and how you might be able to come into greater contact with God and with others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, for the truth therein, and the opportunity that we have, God, to be able to to read it and to understand that in context, you have a word, a message for us, your universal church. And I pray, God, that we would not be divided on the small things while we we can have different perspectives. That's okay, God, but we also, as we look at life and as we look at things in general, that we do so with the recognition of, of, of reaching out and loving others while we also glorify and love you. God, I pray for this communion service time, God, that you would be present Father, that you would bless the elements, that you would, uh, that you would, uh, that you would take them, God, that you would, you would allow this to be an opportunity for us to be able to engage in them and to be engaged in a deeper understanding and love with our Savior and one another. God, I pray that you would consecrate them, that this would be a moment of love and expression for our Savior. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do and how you continue to engage in us. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you wanna learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.